Okay, so told you today would be a little bit different. But I have a question. Anybody familiar with fasting, perhaps you'll be able to understand this. When you fast for a long time, especially if you fast just water, there's this taste that like builds in your mouth that is really one of the most disgusting things in the world, right? Okay, now I understand that because, you know, you have no food going in to add flavor. You have water. And by the way, water does not taste that good, especially after 21 days. It does not taste that good. So here's my question. I got to eat last night. The Lord said I could eat at 6.33 p.m., right? I started my fast the three weeks before at 6. So I, I said, well, Lord, I'll end at 6.30. He said, why don't you make that 6.33? So last night I made eggs, and I, I know Bren texted me, and they were miles away, and she said, I hear you, <laughs> cheering and laughing and probably chomping. But I made some eggs. I made, I made some cherry wood smoked bacon. Okay, it was really good. It was really good. Ate this and didn't eat a lot, but I, I ate enough. Went to bed, got up this morning, had my coffee, which is the first coffee I'd had in three weeks. And that was good. Didn't have breakfast, though. And so I come here, and my breath is still the same. That's what I want to ask you. How in the world does that happen? Didn't I cleanse it with the egg? It should have been cleansed with the cherrywood smoked bacon. You would think. You need Wendy's wings. Okay. Beth said I need Wendy's wings. Yes, which I will have this afternoon. And and by the way, she made those for me, just to make that clear. (laughs) Kidding. No, but uh, it has been an amazing three weeks. And I do have a word for you today. We, We will be having a dedication and send-off in addition to what Jesus did um, at the end of the message, which I will speak, then Alexis will speak, and then, and then we'll go into it at that point just to let you know, because it's very important. There's some things the Lord told me to do today that are very important, especially with that team that's leaving. Much of it was done just through Jesus just now, but there's one other thing that needs to be done. And, but before that, I have this word, and, and I want to share something with you again, because I love when Jesus gives little proofs of his voice. Do you recall when Jesus first started speaking to everybody else, welcome to phase two? Did everybody hear that when he said that? Okay, nobody, not Ariel. Nobody, not Alexis, nobody knew what I was preaching on this morning. Nobody. What the Lord had given me. He's actually been giving me for a couple of months. But he didn't let me release this word because it is a very, very ominous, powerful word. And then he released me last night and told me that I would be doing this. And even then... Many times he'll change it during worship and he'll change it when I come up here and whatever. And so, so I kind of half wondered that. 
And then when Jesus said, welcome to phase two, that was like, yeah, you're still doing that. But that's, I love the little proofs he gives. Because nobody knew this at all. But God has shown me three phases of the readying of his bride. In fact, let me see if I can find it here. Um, I want to share. I meant to look this up, and I, I should have done it earlier. I don't know how to search in this thing. You know what? That's my, No, it's my journal. You would think I would know. Well, I'll try and do it from memory. Because in, in this software, I don't know how. Oh, there we go. Maybe, maybe this will work. Uh, let, let's see. If I can't find it real fast, then I will. I don't see it. Well, let me try and remember it by as best I can. Father, just fill my mouth with your words and help me to remember this as, as close to your words as possible. In Jesus' name. I want to say it was well over a year ago. Maybe summer last year. It, 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 maybe you can remind me if you remember, Shannon. But there was a time where we were going to go before his throne. He told me, come before my, my chamber at the time, which is what it was at the time. And he said, get Shannon, come to my chamber. So I think it might have been after a Tuesday night service or something like that. I grabbed Shannon, went downstairs, went before his throne... And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit manifests through Shannon. And he said, I wanted to come in this way because she cannot know what I am about to tell you. I thought it was extraordinary. When, when he was done, she didn't remember a thing. She did, she, I mean, she remembered being there with me up until the point where the Holy Spirit manifested. But then she did not remember a thing. Now, since then, we have, the Lord has released me to discuss a few things about it, but today he releases me to share it with the world. And that is what it will be shared with because millions will hear this. What he said that day is there are three phases. I didn't even know what that applied to. I didn't know what that meant at the time. But he said, there are three phases that you must go through. He told me, this will be the hardest thing you have ever done in your life. And it will test his trust, or my trust in him. I didn't know what that meant because I've gone through a lot of hard things. I'm not really afraid of things. I will leap. I, I, I could have had the vision of me holding Corey's hand and just running off and leaping. Of course, in my case, I would die. Right? So, so I had a hard time understanding what he meant by it, it will be the hardest thing you've ever done. I understand now. And right now I'm not going to share with you what that means. But that 
difficulty, that hurt, will be ongoing. All through phase two. It will be difficult. I can imagine doing it because I'm going to do it. So will some of you. But he told me about these three phases and what these three phases, he didn't say what they would mean, he just told me the first phase. And the first phase was fighting in the spirit because everything must be declared in the spirit first and then projected through the prophets. That's what the Bible says. Jesus says, I do nothing in this world that is not spoken through my prophets first. So the last few months, he has been showing me a correlation in his word. I've shared with you before that in the Hebrew mind, prophecy is not like in the Greek mind, like in our minds. In our minds, prophecy is prophecy and fulfillment. Done. Case closed. That's how our minds work, because we are of a Greek mind. But in the Hebrew mind... And in God's mind, prophecy is cyclical. Prophecy is repetitive. It is cycles of reenactment, if you will. Now, we've experienced this too. I won't go into it today, but I've shared with you, perhaps the Lord will allow me to to teach this someday. He's not allowed me to teach it yet, but He has allowed me to tell you that we are reliving... The bride is reliving the book of Zechariah, portions of Jeremiah. What I didn't understand until recently is that that cyclical prophecy works backwards as much as it works forwards. And I I don't want to lose you here. I want you to understand what I'm saying. Because God is outside of time. And you have to understand that revelation, we all think it is in the future, which all prophecy from this point is in the future. But we think of that as a specific prophecy that will be happening at the end. All of revelation points, except for the first two chapters, or first three chapters really, points to Israel. It is the fulfillment of Israel and God's plan for Israel, what he has promised since Abraham. So it's never been in my mind that a cycle would come from something in the future back. Well, he opened my eyes. See, we are in a time of the Gentiles. We are in a time of the church, if you will. We are in a time of the bride. That time began when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, coming as a man, was raised again on the third day and lives and sits at the hand of the Father, right hand of the Father. See, we serve a Messiah who is a man. He didn't stop being a man when he rose from the grave. In fact, he said his glorified body is the same one that we will have. I find that to be extraordinary. Because of what he gave up. Do you understand what that means? 
that Jesus gave up his physical presence being anywhere he wants to be at one time. Jesus gave up his omnipresence. If you don't believe me, dig into the word of God. That's exactly what it says. Because we will have a body as he does, a glorified body. I suppose the only other way you could look at it is that we'll all be omnipresent, which would be cool, but not true. So Jesus gave this up forever for you and for me. And he is waiting for his bride to be readied. We have seen many times in Scripture where there will, there will come a point where, we, where he will have expectation. See, Jesus said in his word that the time of the Gentile will be until the number of the Gentile is complete. I know there are many theologians that believe that there is a specific number that it will be that God's just looking for that number to clock down and then when we hit that number, we're gone. I disagree. I don't believe that. Because that also takes out of the equation the very thing that he gave on the cross. And that is choice. The very thing that he gave when he created you and me. The reason man fell in the first place is choice. I'm here to tell you, you have a choice. It's not a choice of, do I believe in Jesus or not? I mean, yes, that's a choice. That's not the choice I'm talking about today. The choice I'm talking about today is will you give Him everything in your life? Will you love Him as He loves you? And will you jump off that cliff no matter what? Will you build relationship with Him so that you hear His voice clearer than you hear the people around you? See, if you don't believe that's possible, if you don't believe that you can hear His voice as clearly as you can hear anybody around you, as you can hear my voice right now, then you are standing behind a closed door. That's a dangerous place to be, especially in these days. Because we're entering a time of the readying of the bride. I know many of you know this scripture, but I want you to turn to it anyways. Revelation 3.9. Revelation 3.9 is in the letter to the church of Philadelphia. This is a letter written by Jesus Christ himself to the churches. To no one else, to the churches, to those who know him. To those, in today's language, we would say, are saved. And I've read this literally a thousand times. And it wasn't until a few years ago that the Lord showed me, as I've shared with you before, this verse that then popped out 
in front of me because everybody Revelation three nine is is famous for a couple of things. Revelation three nine is the Church of Philadelphia, which everybody wants to be, because there was nothing wrong with it. In fact, there was love poured out onto it from Jesus. So we all want to be the Church of Philadelphia, right? But it's famous for another reason. It's famous for verse 10 where it says, I will take you out of the very tribulation that is coming upon this earth. That's one of the verses we use that in in conjunction to Matthew 25 and a couple others where we know the church will not sit in the tribulation. The church will be taken. We call it raptured in the tribulation or before the tribulation. So that's what it's famous for. I'm here to tell you it will become famous for something bigger than those two put together. It will become famous for verse number 9. Let's read it. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, which by the way, this is the world. This is the world, and this is people that claim to be Christian, if you want to specify it, claim to be Christian, but are not. You ever see how when Christians are popular, it seems to grow in numbers? Okay, that's not growing in the heart of God. That's just growing in the eyes of men. So he's saying the world who says that they are Christians but are not, but lie, behold, I will make them, and he's speaking to this church, to the Christian church, Christian church of Philadelphia. I will make them come down and bow before your feet. And they will learn. That's a key word. They will learn that I have loved you. Then it goes into... The fact that because of your patient endurance, you will be kept out of the trial coming on the world. But I want to want to lay out the fact that verse number nine has never happened from the beginning of the church till now. It has never happened. The world has never looked at the church and been in awe, certainly never bowed its knees to the church. But it's going to. Just as cyclically, remember this is prophetic, cyclically it will happen to Israel. That's the beginning of what we know as the thousand year reign, the millennium. But it will happen to the bride as well. Because understand that this letter was not written to Israel. This letter was written to the bride, to the church. So we will come to a place where this world recognizes the bride as holy, recognizes that the bride has a relationship with Jesus Christ who pours His favor out on the bride so that they learn. They learn. How do you learn? You learn by seeing. You learn by hearing. So that they learn that Jesus and the Father Love his bride. This has never happened. 
But I am here to tell you it will happen. It will happen in the next 21 years. The Lord told me it would happen when Donald Trump was made president. He said, you have 24 years. And we're three years into, or almost three years into that. He said, you have 24 years to birth my favor. You have 24 years to build relationship. Teach how to build relationship. And that will grow. There is nothing more powerful than the Holy Spirit on this earth to bring growth of unity, to bring growth of relationship. There is nothing more powerful. And guess what? We all have access to that. We all have have access. Why? Because when we have asked Jesus into our heart, Ephesians 1 13 and 14 say that the Holy Spirit is sent to seal us. So the Holy Spirit seals our spirit. And the word there talks about like a king seals a law. It can't be broken. What is being sealed? Verse 13 and 14 say that it is a promise that is being sealed. That promise is the inheritance of eternal life. And it said this seal will not be broken, the word until, my favorite word there, until we receive it. So when that happened, we have access to the Holy Spirit. We don't automatically have relationship. Because relationship is not given as our justification is. Relationship is built. Relationship is a two-party endeavor. It is not just what Jesus does, like our justification is. When we accepted Him, it was all Him. It was all 100% grace. He did everything on the cross. All we had to do was receive. Not so with relationship. And so out of that, what is produced are people that come to a fork in the road. And they decide to be hot for Jesus Christ and build relationship. Or they decide or are influenced to be cold and live a religious life. Live a life where they make decisions based upon the people around them. Upon the creed in the church that they go to. And they do not build relationship. They build religion. They build a fellowship. But there is nothing hot about being in a fellowship. Without radical love for the Lord. See, because what he expects is the very matching of his love for you. In relationship, he doesn't say, hey, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to bring you the whole way. I'm going to just get behind you and push. He doesn't say that. Very simply, he says, take a step to me. I'll step to you. 
Okay? Let's go to a new level. Take a step to me, and I'll step to you. But see, what we have found is it's more like take a step to me, and I'll take a leap to you. Because there will come a point where you join hands, arm in arm with Jesus Christ, and that relationship is the sweetest thing you will ever know. He is my best friend. He's who I talk to all the time. I could do without anything in this world. I couldn't do without him. Even if I had eternal life coming. You see, because I can't step without him. I know I speak for many in here. But when we do take a step toward him, and he steps toward us, and we sit in fellowship until it's time for the next level, till it's time for the next point of intimacy with him, where he says, okay, okay, we're ready for another step. You know, those steps cost. Those steps cost. The Bible says that a builder does not build without understanding the cost. He doesn't understand the cost without, or doesn't understand, or going into it without understanding the cost. He knows. It says a king does not wage war without understanding the cost. I encourage you, church. Let him show you the cost at each level, and he will. Because you must know the cost. You have to know the cost. Because if you don't know the cost and you step, you will find yourself in a wilderness. Wait, I didn't think it would be this bad. I didn't think I would have to face this. You have to understand the cost. But that step is a step of faith. It could cost you many different things, but what it will cost you is faith. It will cost you faith. I remember the first thing that he had me do that was a pretty big thing. This was before I knew his voice like I know it now. I knew it enough to know he was telling me to do this. He said, close your business. Get rid of your equipment. Get rid of everything that encumbers you. See, my response was, I can do that, but Lord, I can't get rid of my debt. (laughs) I mean, if I could, I would, but I can't. He said, don't worry. That's the faith part. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me to provide? See, we had payments equaling about $6,000 a month. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a small thing to close this business. That's what we did. It was the middle of May, I think, 2014. We closed it, and we trusted him. And you know what? He has never, ever let me down, ever. 
So much so that from that point on, Alexa and I didn't even pray about it. When we came to a point where, okay, Lord, we got, we got mortgage due tomorrow. And, and, you know, we're already a couple of months behind because we're a couple of months behind before I sold the business or got or closed the business. You know, one, one more day and, and we're, we're, we're perhaps going to go into foreclosure. So don't worry about it. Get a text middle of the night from somebody I didn't know. Didn't know it, it, the number didn't register in my phone. And they said, the Lord woke me up, told me to send you, send you a check. <laughs> my only response was, can I ask how much? Because <laughs> we needed $2,000 for the next day for our mortgage. Plus, I think there were a couple other things like electricity, stuff like that. And this person said, yeah, $2,000. All right, God. See, but we had an attitude that it didn't matter. If the Lord took that house away from us, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if we slept in the street. It didn't matter. And I, I, I'm speaking for myself. It didn't matter. It didn't matter to me. If he took us and sent us anywhere, it didn't matter. Because my want was so focused on one thing, nothing else mattered. That one thing is relationship with Jesus Christ. I knew the closer I could get with Him, the more the fruit of the Spirit would be in my life. And by the way, those are some pretty amazing promises. Peace, love, joy, patience. Wow, you want patience? Build relationship with the Lord. He'll give you patience. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Don't, don't just ask for patience. I mean, you're asking for trouble, honestly, if you are. Don't ask for patience. Ask for Jesus. Ask for a relationship with Him. Build relationship with Him. And He will teach you. He will give you patience. He promises. So love, joy, peace. Wow, I haven't had peace in my life, I don't know, maybe since I was 10, 11, 12 years old. That was the good surfing days when I was in Southern California. And I was not prepared to move back to California to have peace again. But he brought me peace. He brought me love. He brought me joy. He began to build a family around me of people doing the same exact thing as me. That's where the fellowship comes in. That's where the power of unity comes in. He built this family here one by one. I didn't build it. I had nothing to do with it. My calling is not your calling. Your calling is your calling. But he just took your individual puzzle piece and he put it together with a bunch of others to produce a picture. A picture of something that he's doing that happens to be the tip of the spear in what he's doing. So what it's talking about here is relationship. That's the hot. That's the hot. I want you to go. 
to Revelation. Well, go to chapter 9. We're actually going to back up a verse, but go to chapter 9. This is the word that he's given me today. He showed me three phases in this time of the Gentile, or three phases in the church. And it was amazing to me. I knew, I knew we've known for a year, year and a half, whenever that was, that the Holy Spirit told me. We've known for that long that phase one was this warfare in the Spirit. Phase one was warfare against what comes against the church, against his bride. I've known that it was three phases. But I didn't know the other phases until a, the last couple of weeks, month, month and a half, right around there. And he began to show me what the other phases were. I want to read chapter 8, verse 13 first. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice. As it flew directly overhead, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. At the blasts of the other trumpets, what the three angels are about to blow. This is what is called in prophecy, and specifically in the book of Revelation, is the three woes. They are one of the most devastating things that comes upon the earth in that time. And more so than it even reads on the surface. Even that first woe, which we'll read here in a second, has a weight to it that you don't see right away. You have to understand some other things first. I bring up verse 13 because it was... The the Lord began to allow me to vocalize this. and, And really, this was when... He fully explained everything to me. Will had texted me a couple weeks ago. It was during the fast, toward the beginning of the fast. He had texted me and he said, I don't know what it is. He, he said, the Lord keeps telling me for, to look for the eagle. To look for the eagle. He said, so I looked the next day at work and all day and I never saw an eagle. And I said to him, I said, well, you know the Lord could not have meant the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> Sorry, Will, I had to get that one in. Will's a big Eagles fan. But he said, look for the Eagle. And so Will was confused, and he came home that afternoon, and because and, he, he works really early, he, starts, he gets up about four in the morning. And so he's off by about noon or so. He comes home, he dives into his secret, secret place. He dives in and, and he said, Lord, where do you want me to go? He said, the Lord just said, why don't you go read chapter 8, verse 13 of Revelation. He's reading and, oh my, you mean that eagle. That eagle's the one you want me to look for. Then he texts me and he said, well, Greg, I don't know, I never saw an eagle, but it was interesting how the Lord led me to, to Revelation 8.13, and I read, and there's an eagle there. I have no idea what it means, but I'm just supposed to tell you. See, that was confirmation to me of what followed. 
and what, what the Lord was going to release for me to say. So let's get into these three woes. Chapter 9. The fifth angel blew his trumpet. That is the first woe. And I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened in the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were, not, they were told not to harm the grass or of the earth or the green plants of any tree, but only those who would do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Then it goes on to say that they were tortured for five months. They sought death, could not find death. Let's go down to verse 11. They have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, or Abaddon. And in the Greek, he is called Apollyon. We know him as the destroyer. This first woe became understandable to us probably two years ago. When we were told to go after, and I'm just going to share a little bit of history here. When we were told to go after the principality over this nation, we didn't know who he was at first. We didn't know his name. We just knew that the Lord told us to begin praying over it. And he, he began to tell us specific things to pray over. One of the odd things he, prayed, he told us to pray about was for God to begin to reveal as we researched my lineage. My history, my specific lineage. I didn't know why he wanted us to do that. I won't go deep in detail into this, but suffice it to say, the Lord showed in our, in my history, my bloodline, my lineage on my mother's side, that I had 300 years ago, 10 generations back, a grandfather who lived right here in Newark. It wasn't even Newark at the time. He came over at the time that before we were a country. Right? He came over before we had government that was on our own. He came over and he had land right here. In fact, one of the parcels of land that we have found, I could almost throw a, a rock and hit it from where I live right now. I find that to be extraordinary. He built a church. In fact, he built two churches. One of the churches, the first church he built, it was built, well, the church was already there. It was 1701, 300 years Folks, I'm talking about 300 years ago. There was a church built in 1701. He came down in 1714. And some years later, they rebuilt the building of that church in 1746. Understand the dates. 1746, almost 300 years ago. That church still stands. That church is about 10 minutes from here. 
that my 10th generation back grandfather built. And I'm going to avoid the details of all this, except for you to understand in the research, because God also said, research Carson's lineage. Because I knew the Lord had told me Carson and I are tied together somehow. Never understood why. I mean, I do now, but at the time I never understood why the Lord had me go to their house. Back, we, I mean, I knew them, but we didn't have a relationship. They went to a different church. We, we had nothing else that we were connected with, but the Lord said, go. Go play games with him. And so I, I would. I'd just go over to their house, play games, usually get beat by Carson. <laughs> Spend time with them. But see, now when we have researched the lineage, we find that Carson's 10th generation back grandfather knew mine. His 10th generation back grandfather had no interest in God. His 10th generation back grandfather was a high mason. His 10th generation back grandfather had a part in building the first, not building, but being a part of the first Grand Lodge of masonry in this country, which was in Philadelphia. It wasn't the first mason thing here, but it was the first Grand Lodge, and it was the one that controlled all the power. There was a moment in that history where my 10th generation back grandfather, his 10th generation back grandfather, and another person who I will not name right now, they entered a covenant together. They entered a covenant over this Grand Lodge. And my 10th generation back grandfather, who loved the Lord, wanted notoriety more than what the Lord would give him. So he entered into this covenant. He gave his granddaughter, and this is hard, he gave his granddaughter, I believe unknowingly, but he gave his granddaughter to this third person, to Mary. Because she had been married, but her husband died. And she was still pretty young. The granddaughter's Penelope. She was 12. Her mother is who he gave in marriage to this guy. This guy, then, the day that they entered into covenant over this Grand Lodge, walked her into the woods, and he took her life. Penelope's life. We know where this happened. It was on the land where Chop sits right now. Children's Hospital of Pennsylvania. And it was at that point that this principality took control of America. The reason why is because that guy I will tell you his name. His name's James Hamilton. Not not related to the to the Hamilton that was president. It's not that. But he is related to Andrew Hamilton. 
which is the father of, is, it, is that right, Andrew Hamilton? Which one was president? Okay, yeah, that's right. No, no, oh, pre, okay. I just want to make sure. He, he signed the Declaration of Independence, though, right? Okay, he was just secretary. That's right. But, but the, po- the point is that James Hamilton was the son of Andrew Hamilton, who is known for our First Amendment. And he is, if you study his life and James's life, that was ten times worse than him. He was a corrupt guy. I think his dad was corrupt. His son, James, was satanic. His son, James, was, at the time, the governor of Pennsylvania. I think that's why my 10th generation back grandfather was drawn into it, because of what he could receive. I don't think he had any idea what was going to happen. But what happened in there was a blood sacrifice. What happened in there was a blood sacrifice that that gave the principality that is now over this nation control of this nation, and here's why. Because James Hamilton owned the land and the buildings where our state house is. He's the one that built the state house. And he owned it. In fact, when he turned it over, he turned it over without any payment. At the time, that probably seemed like a good deal for the United States. But it was tragic. Because that gave power to this principality over this nation. Why am I giving you this history lesson? Because it's important to understand where this power comes from. It's important to understand that there is nothing... Nothing that God does in this realm, in this earth, that is not already decided in his courts. Why do you think the Bible says Satan, in, in, in I think it's chapter 12, why do you think it says Satan is there in front of the throne of the Lord in his court to accuse us day and night? Do you think he's there just to tattle? Or do you think that he's there because he gets something out of it? You better believe he does. He gets this thing we call authority. Because when we sin, we give authority of our life to the enemy. Just like Adam did to Satan. We give it over and say, here, I'm in agreement with you because I want to do this sin. And if we don't go to the Lord in forgiveness then that authority does nothing but build. That's what happened in this founding of this country. I find it interesting that two months before that land was given, two months before in the very room And you can look it up in history. It's all there. It's all documented. Two months before it became the United States of America, or or given to, at that time, we hadn't done the Declaration of Independence yet, but this was our, our building of rule, just like Congress would be right now. Okay? 
Two months before that happened was this meeting. This meeting where the three entered in covenant. It was in the very room that our declaration and our constitution were signed. And it's where the Grand Lodge for the Masons, for the Brotherhood, was established. So that gave the principality over this country free reign. We then learned, Jesus told me, who that principality was. That principality was Abaddon. I remember the first time he told me that, I thought, nah. Now that, he's like in the Bible. That doesn't, nah, come on. Come on, I'm I'm really going to need confirmation on this one, Lord. And so I, I shut up about it. And not only did he give me confirmation, he gave me confirmation after confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. In fact, he let me, let me, huh, he kind of forced me to deal with him, to know that it was him. So you say, wait a second, how can it be Abaddon? Because here in verse 11, which I I find interesting that it's chapter 9, verse 11. I don't know, we'll just throw that one in there. That it says, there is a king over the angel of the bottomless pit. His name is, in Hebrew, is Abaddon. Wait, wait a second. How could it be Abaddon? Because Abaddon's in the, in the abyss. Okay, recognize that when a third of the angels fell, none of them. You understand? None of them went to the abyss. They were given rule. As Satan was given prince, he was made prince and power of the air. They were not given any rule over the earth at all. Even though there was a place created for them called the abyss. We don't see in the word of God anywhere where angels are sent to the abyss until Genesis chapter 6. Right before the flood. They're sent to the abyss then. In in fact, the angels that slept with the daughters of men, they were sent to the abyss in a special holding tank. Read it. A special holding tank to be used later on. That's what he's leading. That's what Abaddon is leading. Okay, so how does Abaddon get into the abyss? It's because he will be cast. He will be cast. But it has to be done with authority. Nothing in God's plan on this earth is done without authority. That's what brings me in. That's what brings this team in. What God began to show us was this historical linkage between me and Abaddon. And for that matter, Carson and Abaddon. And Carson's lineage has, has a, an attack, if you will, in a very different way. Because he is linked to the beginning of the brotherhood here in America. The brotherhood is the highest level witches you can, you can see. They are pure satanic worshippers. So God began to show, because of this linkage, I had authority 
to go after him. I remember the first time the Lord said, go after this Abaddon, go after, go after this principality. I said, wait, Lord, you've told us not to ever go after something we don't have the authority to go after. He said, you have the authority. I'll show you your authority. And that's where he began to roll out this history. Not, not authority because he said so. Authority because he had planned it from the beginning of time. He knew what would happen in that lineage. And it was that authority that he needed me to claim. He said, it is the very avenger of blood. Those are very important terms. The avenger of blood that has the right to claim that blood. So when we learned this, we went after him. Not just me. This whole church. As a team, we went after him. We took him to court because it's not like I could grab his neck and just beat on his face. I really wish I could have. But we go after him because of the lineage. And we took him to court. We took him to court. In fact, we took him to court twice. Because the first time we took him to court, apparently it wasn't time or, I don't know, we, we got somewhere with it, but he was not bound. But the second time we took him to court, when it was time, when it was ready, he was bound. And I thought, oh man, this is it. I get to cast him to the abyss now, and God said no. No, bind him, but don't cast him. Because he will be useful. I didn't understand that at the time. I understand it now, and I'm not going to share it with you. <laughs> Maybe later. But he is bound. He will be cast to the abyss. His seat of power is the Washington Monument. And that's why I have said and I have declared that Washington Monument will come down. Physically, it will come down and it will not be rebuilt. In fact, what will be rebuilt in its place is a cross. I also declare that you don't have to wait for that. Because when it comes down, God will tell us ahead of time, the very day, the very moment. Because it is something that I will declare. Because I have authority to. Not because I'm special. I'm nothing. But God is everything in me. And God put the lineage in me to have the authority to do it. So I'll do it. When it's his timing. You will see this during Donald Trump's time frame. Which, by the way, unless anybody's confused here, he will be reelected. In fact, he will not just be reelected by the skin of his teeth. He will be reelected by the greatest landslide, landslide this country has ever seen. I know it doesn't look like that right now. But it also didn't look like he was going to be elected the first time, even the night before. And God had told me a year and a half before that, don't worry, it's going to look like he's not going to get elected. But he will be, because he's going to be there for eight years. And then Mike Pence is going to be there for eight more years. And then Nikki Haley will be there for eight more years. 
And the reason why is I am giving you 24 years. 24 years of my favor to ready the bride. So this first phase was filled with fighting Abaddon. And harnessing him. Binding him. I remember at his trial when he was found guilty. And he was bound. First of all, he was a baby. He just screamed like a baby. I declare that right now. Abaddon, you're a baby. I declare that because he is still around. He can hear me. There is a usefulness that the Lord has for him to be around. He will be around until his throne is destroyed. Although he has, he has no power but his words. He has no power but his words. His, his authority has been stripped from him. Except for, and what I mean in, is in the heavens against the church. Except for what he can command his people. But that's easy to fight. Super easy. I'm sure he's confused as to why he's still around. Because he can read Revelation chapter 9 just like we can. He knows where he's headed. I joyfully whispered that in, into his ear that night of the trial. I think that's when he started screaming. But Abaddon isn't the only one. See, five years ago when the Lord first spoke to us, he said, I am sending you to seven places when he first spoke to me. Seven places in the world. Five specific nations and two continents. Now that didn't make sense to me because... Well, I mean, he loves the number seven. I suppose that part made sense. I didn't know Nigeria would be the first at that time. I knew pretty quickly after that. But he said, I'm sending you to seven places. That never really clicked in my mind until a few months ago when I learned Abaddon has six brothers. Since then, the Lord has opened my eyes to so many things in Revelation. It's wild. See, Abaddon and his six brothers are the seven heads of the beast, of the dragon. In Revelation, I want to say it's 13. See, it says that the dragon is Satan, but it has seven heads. See, see, Satan has seven generals, the strongest of which is Abaddon. The others are pretty close to him. Abaddon in satanic circles as known as part of the Trinity. It's Satan, Abaddon, and they call Baal. Okay, well, I'd love to inform Satan worshippers how wrong they are. Because Baal is not an entity. Baal is all of them. Baal's a label. But Abaddon is set apart. Abaddon is the one who rules death. But these seven brothers, six brothers are all the generals of Satan. They will all be bound. 
And he declared this. They will all be bound and cast into the abyss because they are all what comes back in chapter 9. Every one of them. So they will all be bound. We know in Nigeria, we know the second one. He is not the principality over Nigeria. He is the principality over all of Africa. And I I know this is going on long, but take a deep breath. Okay, this this information is important. I know he is the principality over all of Africa. And one of his main powers is showing Africa that they're not worthy of God's abundance. But yet you go to that country, you go to Nigeria, you go to Benue State. And you will not find more fertile ground than Benue State anywhere in America. It's extraordinary to me. But yet this principality there has kept them under his thumb. Is it amazing to you that no nation in Africa is a first world country? None. It's because of this principality. Well, the Lord has already focused us in on this principality. We've tried to find his name out. We don't know his name yet. We actually had our first encounter with him a couple nights ago. Michael and I and a couple of others. Where we tried to get his name. But the witch who was hosting him wouldn't give it up. He was belligerent. I just wanted him out of the court. But we know where he resides. He resides, I think it's, and Tebe, you could correct me if I'm wrong, I think it is northwest of Abuja, Zumarok. He resides in Zumarok, which is, I mean, it's just a big old rock, huge rock. Has tunnels underneath it, which is a different story. But that's where he resides. And I declare today that that too, just as the Washington Monument will come down, Zuma Rock will be split in half. Because that principality, along with every one of the seven brothers, will be bound, will be cast to the abyss to come up another day in chapter 9. It'll be long after the bride is gone. God's going to do that to all of mine. I know the next place that we're going to is Germany. That's the, one of the continents he gave us. He gave us Europe. But then he specialized it a few years later on Germany. I believe we will be headed to Germany this time next year. It'll be a lot faster than Nigeria. Which, by the way, man, one of these times, I want to tell you what's going on in Nigeria. It's insane, guys. I know since I've been back this last time, I haven't been able to tell you anything, but I will tell you this one thing. We're in negotiations right now to acquire 80,000. Okay, do you understand me? 80,000 acres. Just a little piece of land. We already have 10 acres where we're building our team building. But Lord wants us to have this 80,000 acres, and it's up in the mountains. How cool is that? I'm a Colorado boy. <laughs> Honey, do you, can we move tonight? No, okay. 
okay, she just realized I stepped out of the spirit. <laughs> but it's in the mountains. We, we drove, Michael and I got on these motorcycles, and we drove for an hour and a quarter one way. One direction, one way. We never even got halfway. It was extraordinary. You want to hear a cool thing? They have lions there. We didn't see any. But I, I was asking the guy, I said, because we're going to put a ranch there. We, we, we know this ranch in northern Virginia called Polyface that we're going to work with to do the same thing there. Uh, Michael and I have been down to Polyface many times. We're going to do the, and Corey went one time. We're, we're going to do the very same thing there that they do at Polyface. And it's this, this organic ranching. The only difference is they do it on about eight or 900 acres, usable acres. We're doing it on 80,000. Right? We can, we could do it like on steroids. So I just, I just had to share that with you because what God, what God is doing there is, wow. Wow. But Abaddon will be bound and cast to the abyss along with his six brothers will be bound and cast to the abyss. This is all of what phase two is. We are entering phase two. But along with that comes the freeing of the church in that area. Because one of the greatest things that they do is they cast deception upon the people. They cast deception upon the government. You, you could call it ironic. You could call it lucky timing. You could call it whatever you want. But when the Lord started to tell our prayer team, we have a prayer call every night, every single night. We started it when Donald Trump was inaugurated. We have it every night at 8.30, and we pray. We pray for our country. We pray for deception to be pulled from our country. We pray for transparency to be in our country. And I just find it interesting that the moment we started praying that, you started to see chaos in this country. That was over a year ago. I'm here to tell you what you're going to see between now and the end of the year is chaos and steroids. You're going to see, I won't say civil war, because I don't, I don't think it'll be that, but you will see war. You will see physical war here. <laughs> and everybody's worried about the people going to Nigeria. <laughs> Wait and see what happens in your own backyard. Because it's going to. It's going to because the fight that we have over America is because America leads the world. America leads the world. But again, as we are in this phase two and we are fighting to free areas. It pulls the deception so people can make a choice. They can make a choice to build a relationship with Jesus Christ, to become hot or cold. Why? Because if they're lukewarm, they'll be spit out of his mouth. Go back to Revelation chapter 3. I just want to read this... this uh, one verse to you. Verse. Well, let, let's start with verse 15. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold, or cold or hot. 
would you that you would be either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I am here to declare that those words have begun. Those are not a future word. That is not a future prophecy. For that is a prophecy of today. And this second phase, this second woe, in fact, let's, let's read the second woe. Starting with verse 13. Then the sixth angel, and this is back in chapter 9 of Revelation. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels... Now, by the way, these are not good angels, guys. If these were angels of God, they would not have had to be bound. Understand that. God is releasing Satan's angels that were held at the great river Euphrates at the boundary of that to bring destruction. I know that'll play with your head a little bit. Wait, God's good. God's good. He would never do that. He would never put something bad in my, my life. He would, he would never do anything against the United States. He loves the United States. He, wow. If you believe that, let's talk about the Bible. Let's talk about Israel, who is truly his beloved. Let's talk about what he allowed Israel to go through throughout their existence. So understand what he has here. He has these four angels that have been bound since the fall and held for this moment at this time. Now this is already after what happened with Abaddon and his six brothers. These four angels then are loosed. It says, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. We don't need to go any further. This second woe in Revelation is a third of the world is taken out. Now I'm here to declare this. The second phase in the reading of the bride is the bulk of the reading of the bride. And I am here to declare that a third of the bride, those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and King, a third of the bride will by choice remain lukewarm. They will be taken. They will not be, oh Lord. Didn't think I'd have to say this. Their lives will be taken. Their lives will be taken. This third of the bride that does not give relationship to him now, I'm not talking about the cold, because remember he said, I would rather you be cold or hot. I'm talking about those who pretend they're hot and they're not. 
those who say I'm a Christian and, I, and they follow all their good little little things to make them look like a Christian. And yet in their heart they have sin. These men who say I'm a Christian go and they worship and they praise and even preach. And they can go home on their phone or their computer and they look at pornography. That breaks my heart. I'm telling you, the lukewarm, their lives will be taken. They will be presented with a choice, though. They will be presented with a line in the sand. Unfortunately for you, who hear my voice, your line in the sand is now. You hear it. You are made aware of it. Your line in the sand is now, I urge you, build relationship with him. Because that is the only thing. The only thing. I mean, I suppose unless you want to just turn cold. I hate to say it, but you'll be safe if you're cold too. You just won't get what God has for you for eternity. That's a long time, guys. Eternity. If you think that every Christian will spend the same eternity that every every other one does, you are fooling yourself and you don't understand the scripture. That is absolutely false. Because there are rewards that will be given to those who seek relationship with him. To those who become conquerors. In the very chapter 3 of... Uh, of of Revelation, it talks about it in the overcomers. If you overcome this church of Philadelphia, if you overcome, I will make and become conquerors. You will be made pillars in my Jerusalem. Which is the Jerusalem that descends from heaven after the thousand year reign and after the great white throne judgment. It descends for the rest of history and God the Father literally dwells with men. He said it's time where he dwells outside of a temple because he has dwelt with men inside of a temple. He did in Solomon's temple. The Shekinah glory fell and he was there. I would rather you be hot or cold. This phase two is going to bring the readiness of the church. We have no idea how long this phase will be. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it'd be nice and neat to believe that, well, wait, we got 24 years, so we got eight years of, of the beginning, then we got eight years of phase two, then we got eight years of phase three. But I can already tell you that doesn't work because we're already in phase two. <laughs> and we're three years in. I have a feeling this next phase is the long one. Because God wants to have every one of his bride have a choice. But, let's read phase three. This is the exciting phase. Go down to, well, the, after phase two, or after uh, the second woe, then you've got this, kind of this hybrid pause. And God talks about a few other things. And I, I have some ideas because I think they, they play into our phases as well. But, um, we're not going to go into that right now. <laughs> you guys are like, thank you. 
It's one thirty. Come on. Verse 15 of chapter 11 is the third woe. It is also the third phase. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That should be a song, right? It is a song. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, by the way, the 24 elders in Revelation are the church. They are the bride. Now, they may be a physical representation. It might be actually 24 human beings. I don't know. But it represents the bride. Because only three people in the word of God are kings and priests. Melchizedek was a king and a priest. Jesus Christ was a king and a priest. His bride, those who are saved, are kings and priests. So the 24 elders fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both great, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightnings, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. By the way, anybody who wonders where the ark is now, well, maybe it's in Ethiopia. You know, maybe, maybe it's in some Hollywood set warehouse, right? From the, whatever that movie was. Raiders of the Ark. Yeah, Indiana Jones. If anybody wonders where it was, just reread this verse. It's in heaven. The Ark of the Covenant is in heaven. But what the Lord told me about this third woe and about how it applies to the third phase is this. That is a readied bride. Once a bride becomes ready, then there will be time of the Lord's favor to shine down on his bride so the world will see that favor and learn, remember what it said in verse 9 of chapter 3, and learn... That he loved them, or how he loves them. Phase three is about the favor. Phase three is about the love. Phase three is about the joy. Phase three is about the bride being preeminent throughout the world. This is God's course of action from the very beginning, because think about it for you. Think about it for you. Would you want to marry someone that's just like this, Oh, my, my life just really sucks, so come and get me. Come and take me, Lord. Take me. I'm ready. I'm ready. He's like, nah, you're not. <laughs> See, I want to take a bride that is going to be triumphant in me. That has built relationship with me. That's what he wants. That's what phase three is all about. And I'm going to share something I, I think I've shared in private. To some, I don't think I've, I, I've certainly not shared it online, I don't believe. Although I have a really bad memory. <laughs> so we'll see. 
he will build a temple here. We call it a prayer tower. I remember when he downloaded to me the schematics of this prayer tower. Seven workable floors. I think that's in addition to the first floor, which is all security, whatever. (laughs) Cup of coffee. Cup of guava. Yeah. But he told us to build this prayer tower, and he told us what each floor was to be about. And he told us that from this prayer tower, 30 miles out in circumference, we will build what I, I don't have a better word for it, but a base. It's a base. Think of it as perhaps the wall around Jerusalem. I don't know. In comparison, it's a base. But this prayer tower, the Father told me a long time ago, that he would reside there. I remember when he told me that, I, that was another one of those, wait a second, got to get confirmation on this one. And he gave me confirmation after confirmation. Because see, in the readying of the bride, the Father will come and reside in a place where the bride loves this prayer tower will be the home of his Shekinah glory. And you say, well, why? Why? We, we have the Holy Spirit in each one of us. Each one of us is a temple. And yes, I'm in agreement with that. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Father is very different. And the, there's, there's simply one reason why he wants to do this. One reason only. And we read it in Romans a couple of weeks ago. But it's to make Israel jealous. It will be that phase that shows Israel what the Father wanted for them all along. How He wanted them to have authority over all the earth. How He wanted them to be led by a king Jesus Christ, the Messiah, if they would just believe in Him, if they would just trust Him, know that He is the Messiah, is the Son of God, coming to, man, coming to earth as a man. So it will be this third phase. And I believe the marking of the third phase will be the building of that prayer tower. I know where it is, or I know where it's going to be. It will be seen... So easily. Because it will be on a hill about a hundred yards off of I-95. In fact, there will be a bridge. I haven't figured out yet if it's going to be a walking, I think a walking bridge. You might be able to take like a a cart over it. But there will be a bridge that spans 95 from two pieces of property that we will own. You have a prayer tower on one side with this hill. That you can see. I can come out of Wilmington and I'll, I'll be able to see it. You can see it 15 miles away. That's on one side. On the other side is a sanctuary. On the other side are other buildings and stuff. And there's a walkway in between. And I love it because everybody driving on 95 
we'll get to see what's on the side of that walkway. It says three words. Relationship with Jesus. That's all it says. People will come all over the world to see this tower. Even those who don't believe. That will mark the entering of phase three. But understand where we are now is phase two. Understand where we are now is the defeat of all seven of the brothers drawing the line in the sand for the churches. I'm not the only one called to that, guys. You are too. And you will do the same thing. You will preach and you will draw a line in the sand for those who hear. And the Lord will open up your ministry to where you will be heard by millions. Because the globe will not be covered over the next 30, 40 years. The globe will be covered over the next several years. In all seven places. And you will declare that line in the sand where people will make a choice. And if they don't, they will pay their price. So I'm going to end it there. I know it went long. Sorry, but I'm not sorry. But Alexis, come on up here. And you can add to what the Lord has laid on your heart. When the Lord releases a word like this, um, especially with the length of the service today, um, I want you to know that what you don't understand, A, ask, but this is also a documentation and a record of this information. And nobody could have put him and the Lord through the need for confirmation and the you know, challenging and pushback of the fantastical things that he was revealing to us more than myself. So whatever you don't understand or whatever is a struggle to grasp or sounds like conspiracy theory, um, the Lord will, he will reveal it. Um, because none of this, um, any of this journey was anything that was our idea. And I always tell people with Nigeria, Nigeria was the furthest thing from anything we would have ever thought about. I mean, it was just not even on our radar. Um, But when the Lord starts to speak to you, do you trust him like Noah, like Moses, like Abraham? Noah was just going about his business, trying to stay good in a super wicked world. And God starts telling him fantastical things, and he says, I want to use you. What's the Lord asking you to do where he wants to use you that you're just going, "Ah, you know, that's way out there. Plus, it kind of messes with my plans. You know, I just don't really get it. But when you're really in tune with the voice of the Lord, he will show you things that he wants to use you for. And um, it's really the yes that you give that makes these things happen. And so don't hesitate to ask, but um, it was a lot. It was a lot of information today. And um, I just want to encourage you that... um, God is not just a three-point outline covering a span of a couple of verses that fits into a nice little box 
just in time for you to get your food hot and ready to fill your belly. God is way beyond that. And if you felt the squeeze in your spirit, that i got to tell you the truth, sometimes I still do, in terms of length of service or how different it is, um, he may be trying to still purge that, that religious box um, because what I read about in the Church of Acts, in the Book of Acts, is services went on all day long, sometimes into the next day. Amen. And um, it was just um, something that we just don't understand today. If church does not fit into our world, our plans, our schedule, then um, it just doesn't work for us. That just doesn't work for me. Um, and uh, so I encourage you to uh, let God change your paradigms. You know, that's what, that's what we fasted for. Um, I shared with the ladies downstairs, I, the fact that I was able to go off of caffeine for seven days, cold turkey, might not sound like anything to some of you, but when you need it for your very breath, <laughs> when the Holy Spirit resides in your cup, um, you know, that just seemed like a miracle. And God just started teaching me that, you know what, uh, even in the little ways, I'm teaching you to think different, to respond different, to recognize that what you think you need needs to be determined by me. Not by you. And we are um, we're stuck in a lot of limitations of paradigms. And, um, man, when God takes over, yes, he talks about cost all the time. But the cost brings such a great benefit. And, uh, and I'm excited. And I, I loved uh, Hannah's prayer in class. It just All she could say is thank you. And she's excited about this, excited about this, excited about this. I hope you have that excitement. And... Um, we know that, that God's doing great things. I just want to mention Jeff is still going to be praying for people in the dining room over any ailment, any physical need, physical need for healing, um, a pain. Uh, even if you think it's small, chiropractic, any issue, let him pray for you. Yes. Uh, there is, uh, you know, don't just coast and think that, well, this isn't a big thing and I can take a pill for it, so I'm good. No, let God change the dependency on the human realm need of things and just see what God will do because he's going to be praying in uh, the dining room so make sure you do that and then um, um, pray we'll close this time okay. then we're going to do the dedication all right let's just close this time in prayer before we go on to the Nigerian group um, before we eat father God Lord we love you you are Elohim you are the creator of the universe and Lord <clears throat> What you've released, Greg, to share today is pretty heavy, pretty wild, pretty out there. And because of the calling, could even sound pretty arrogant. But God, I just pray that you'd open eyes and ears, Lord, that you have a hope and a calling for every single person in this room. It is not an accident that everyone was here on this day, at this time, for this message yes. that was only released in this way for today to begin this new phase. And that requires responsibility. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that no one would think that, well, that's about them. That's about ignition. That seems to be about Greg. It has nothing to do with me. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to open their eyes. Yes. Because it has everything to do with them. Yes. Everything to do with every single human being in this place and who will be listening to this message online. I pray, God, that you give us spiritual eyes to see, ears to hear. Um, enlighten all of our spiritual senses to see what you are doing. 
that is the Jeremiah 33.3 truth of your word. You are doing great and mighty things. These great and mighty things do not make sense to us. If they made sense to us, then you would not be God. You would just be the manufactured God made in our own image. And that would be an idol. So, Father, I ask you, Lord, to just stretch again our faith. Many that have fasted, their, their faith has been stretched over the last 21 days. But, God, let us see clearly what you are doing. Blessed are those who see, you said. And we don't want to be Thomases that will wait until these things are right smack in front of us and then finally go, okay, yeah, wow, I can't believe that happened. I heard about that one time. God, help us to believe yes. before that's what faith is, the substance of things only hoped for. It is evidence of something not even seen. God, let us be people of faith because faith is what pleases you. And it's impossible to please you without it. So I praise you today. I, I just stand in agreement with this word, with this declaration. May it unfold before our eyes, God, as, as you are going to be pulling back the deception to make that line and that choice clear. What in the world else do we have to do on this earth, God, but then to give you everything Yes. in our businesses? Not just pulling out of our businesses into ministry, but God, in our businesses. You want passionate, sold-out lawyers, doctors, uh, counselors, financial people. You, you, you want in all walks of life that absolute sold-out, every breath is yours person. So, God, I pray that you would do that, Lord. Start, start with your remnant. We love you, God. We praise you. And we thank you for what today represents. In the spirit, it is so, so enormous. The, the positioning of boots on the ground, if you will, in Nigeria. The taking of territory from the enemy in that place. And what you will do is so amazing. And I just praise you, God. I praise you, God, for what it has cost them. And I thank you, God, for the reward coming to everyone who's taking this huge leap of faith to go. We love you. We praise you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.